Do be seated. Good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to be back with you again this morning. Well, when I was in the sixth form at school, I played a part in a play I thoroughly enjoyed. I was 17. These were the characters who were in the first act of this play. As I read those out, those, these, as I read these characters out, see if you can uh, find out what play I'm referring to. It's a little bit obscure. I discovered that at the eight o'clock. <laughs> so don't worry if you, you don't. There's a chorus of women. There are three priests. There's a herald. There are four tempters. There's attendants. And then this one will give it away. Has anybody got it already? No? The last one is there was also Archbishop Thomas Beckett. There we go. So this play retold the true story of the savage murder of Thomas a. Beckett in Canterbury Cathedral in 1170. And I played one of the three priests. Maybe it was the first time I'd actually thought what it was going to be to be a priest. Here, though, this was a particularly angry priest, I seem to remember. I even remember to this day some of the words. Talking to the chorus of women, I said... What a way to talk at such a juncture. You are foolish, immodest and babbling women. Do you not know that the good Archbishop is likely to arrive at any point? The crowds in the streets will be cheering and cheering. And then here's the two lines I remember really well. You go on croaking like frogs in the treetops. <laughs> but at least frogs can be cooked and eaten. <laughs> Who knew... Uh, 41 years later, I'd be standing here. Well, the passage you've just heard read, uh, thank you, Judith, is too so full of passion as it went backwards and forwards in its dialogue. A, pas a passage that is spirit-inspired, spirit-filled, scripture that we can learn so much from. And so, when I first saw that I was going to be preaching on this passage, I was so excited. There are three main characters in our passage today. Firstly, there is this unknown woman, a woman who our Bibles describe as a woman who lived a sinful life and was determined to anoint Jesus with this perfume. Secondly, Simon, a Pharisee, a member of the religious elite, who had invited Jesus to eat with him and others. And finally, there's Jesus himself. So let's look at each character and work out what's going on and what we can learn from each of these characters. If you do have your Bible open, it would help. Um, it's on page 1136. I didn't write it down. Judy, can you help me? Um, if you need a Bible, the stewards will happily give, give you one if you want to put up your hand and they will bring you a Bible. 1036, Luke 7. Thanks. If you could bring some Bibles, that would be great. But I'll, I'll get on. Okay. So our first character is this unknown woman. Luke doesn't name her. However, the passage does seem similar to three other passages, if you know your Gospels. There's Mark 14, Matthew 26, and John 12. But the difference is in this passage that we're looking at and those other passages is those other ones finish 
with a comment about the waste of money of the perfume. And Judas arguing, Judas Iscariot arguing about that money could be much better spent on the poor. Our passage is different here. We have a different conclusion. And one that gets to the very heart of each of our three characters. And my hope is one that touches our heart again this morning. So scholars think that this is a unique situation and different from those other gospel readings. So who is this unknown woman? In our church Bibles on page 1036, we see uh, that she was a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. This was most likely New Testament code for telling us that she was uh, a local prostitute, sinful life in this town. Imagine what a dangerous life that was in first century occupied Israel, a society that's governed by, wholly by men. Thinking about her for a moment, we may ask ourselves certain questions. What situation led her in her life to turn to prostitution? How many times had she been abused, beaten or stolen from by her so-called clients? How much was she looked down upon and insulted by the respectable local town folk? What an incredibly hard, dark life she must have led. This is the life that Jesus brought redemption from. So prior to this passage, unrecorded in our Gospels, she must have met him or listened to him, but her life had been changed by him. By putting ourselves even a little in her shoes, just maybe we can start to understand that outpouring, both literally with perfume, but also emotionally with tears and kisses that she shows to her saviour and her new friend, this man, Jesus. And those who've listened to me before in church, I'm often very linear as I go through the passage, but I'm going to do something a bit unusual for me, and we're going to jump to the last verse, verse 50. In that last verse, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And it's actually those three last words, go in peace. In Greek, actually, a better translation of that is actually go into peace. And I really love that. He was indicating the darkness that she was in. And now she could go into peace for the rest of her life. From the darkest dark to the lightest light in his presence. Her life is completely and utterly changed. And yes, she does things which are so socially unacceptable. But who are we to blame her? Having already been changed by Jesus, her love, her worship, her gratitude overflows. She comes into this open dinner and it was acceptable in those days to come into other people's houses to listen to these uh, locals who would be invited to come to those types of dinners. And as she sees them all reclining, their heads together, um, 
and to eat the food from the table at the center and their legs out in like a, like a cartwheel um, towards the outer rim. She enters the room and she sees Jesus and she breaks down. Verse 38, she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them away with her hair, kissing them and pouring perfume on them. Wow. She can't help herself. Jesus has changed everything. Her behavior, this known local prostitute's behavior, did not go unnoticed by the other dinner guests. Certainly Simon the Pharisee host noticed She'd even let down her hair, outrageous by Jewish standards, in public. Simon would have been able to quote every chapter and verse in the Old Testament for every behavior a good Israelite woman should obey where hair is concerned. So let's now turn to Simon. Having invited Jesus to have dinner with him, we don't know what reason he invited him, but we do know earlier on in the chapter, in verse 17, It says, news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Jesus was becoming known. So maybe he was just curious. Whatever Simon's reason, he is now in the presence of Jesus and seeing for himself the restoring, redeeming result of Jesus' mission in that unknown woman's life. And how does he react? Well, verse 39, he said to himself, and that's telling, isn't it? Just to himself, under his breath. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He knew this local woman. He knew at least some of her backstory. Here he is questioning whether Jesus is the holy man He has heard he was. If you were a prophet, implying surely he isn't, otherwise he'd have known what type of woman had touched him. Jesus would have responded how Simon wanted him to. Jesus being who he is, fully God and fully man, knew exactly what Simon was saying under his breath. He reacts with calm and strength. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. How many of us would have responded so calmly when our reputation was so slandered? But maybe that's a point for another day. Simon responds, and the tone in Greek from Simon is certainly not cordial. Tell me, teacher. Jesus then tells this mini parable of two people who had been let off uh, by a moneylender, very different amounts, 50 denarii and 10 times as much, 500 denarii, at the end of which Jesus asks, now which of them will love him more? Simon responds again, maybe with not the kindest of spirits, I suppose the one who had bigger debt forgiven. Jesus then turns to Simon's heart as he systematically compares his action, actions to those of this sinful woman. 
and Simon loses on every point. But before those points are touched on, Jesus says in verse 44, do you see this woman? Of course he saw her. He was probably doing nothing else but watching her as soon as he walked into, her, into his house and looking what she was up to. But I think Jesus is saying, really, do you really see this woman? Look past her past. Look at the woman. Look at her joy now. Look at her peace now. Her very demeanor would have been a witness to her love for her new saviour, Jesus himself. Jesus doesn't say it directly, but I think he's naturally saying, now look at yourself, Simon. Indeed, that's exactly what Jesus goes on to do. He systematically looks at the woman and then Simon. There is so little love in this respectable man's actions compared to this woman he is happy to condemn. Where Jesus sees a woman who openly is accepting his salvation and a man who is holding back in his respectability. She is much closer to God than he is. Then finally, we turn to our third character, Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer, this now known woman's friend. Jesus then does an outrageous thing in this passage. He turns to the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. This is so outrageous because every Israelite would have known that only God can forgive sins. Jesus had said not just once, but twice in our passage, your sins are forgiven. He'd said twice that he is God. For the woman, this changes everything. She has no problem in her eyes because her eyes have been opened and she can see who Jesus is for who he is. Her long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God. But what about Simon? How does he react? Well, actually, we don't know. For once in our passage, he's quiet. Maybe pointedly, Luke doesn't tell us how Simon reacts. He writes in verse 49 about the other guests. He says, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who forgives sins? But Simon, he's quiet. How is he digesting those incredibly direct lines from Jesus, directed straight to him, such as, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. Maybe, just maybe, his heart is now really turning. Maybe, just maybe, he is now seeing his own relationship with God for what it is. But when somebody is named in the Gospels, it's sometimes because they're still known years later by the audience, Luke's first readers. I pray that this was the turnaround for Simon. And now, years later, he is part of that early church. Just maybe, but we don't know. But what we do know is Jesus had met both of these loved children of God where they needed to be met. He meets us too exactly where we are today in Claygate.
Like Jesus knew then what Simon said under his breath, he knows everything about us too. But he loves us the same. That's the truth, friends. And that is enormous. To to be a Pharisee, you had to academically know the Bible backwards and forwards. And yet Simon had missed the fundamentals that knowing God is not a head activity. It is fundamentally a heart activity. A heart activity that knows true forgiveness and peace and joy and that can only come by really seeing Jesus. This unknown woman who became known couldn't help that overflowing of her heart as her true response to true faith. For each of us today, I pray that we too can know that forgiveness. And as we leave this place, know that we do truly go into peace with all our heart. Bless you all.